Hello, we do need a revolution. And you know where revolution begins? Peaceful revolutions that create fantastic societies. They begin with education. And that is what I want to bring to you today. Um, I'm here and Javier is with me today. Dr. X is in the house. But we recorded. Hey, there he is, Dr. X. Good to see you. Good to see you as well. Um, so last week, you and I did a lot of recording with, with Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. Oh, and yeah. so we're bringing to the audience today an hour, almost an hour, on ipac-edu.org. Um, we'll talk about it there. But this, if you want to really create the sort of society you want, be able to make the decisions you want on facts, not fear, and to be able to spot propaganda as a and marketing because you know facts you need to educate yourself and this is education uh for the people and at an affordable price online and um i think that's about all i i need to say now so we're going to step back and enjoy hearing what uh dr uh, james lyonsweiler has to say and then we'll be back so here is dr james lyonsweiler he is president of ipac um, EDU, author, scientist, and humanitarian. Welcome back, Dr. Figueroa and Dr. James Lyons-Weiler to an Informed Life Radio. We're going to move on to a fantastic subject. Our first hour was all about science. A couple of PhDs taken on an MD talking about the science. And I, as a, a layperson, um, have done some exploring and some learning myself about how to read studies. And I've, I've learned a lot from you. Um, I'm going to call you Jack in this second hour. I hope it's okay with you, Dr. James. Um, and, but there's so much more to learn. And most individuals don't have a lot of time. They don't know where to go and they don't have the money to, to go get these degrees. But you don't need to. If you want to learn how to educate yourself so that you can look at what you're being bombarded with in the world today from all directions. If you want to learn how to read science, if you want to learn, um, you know, how the, the ethics of medical questions um, so much. Jack, you um, and IPAC have created an online university for the people, extremely affordable, and classes taught by some of the top minds in their fields. And this is IPAC-EDU, IPAC-EDU.org. And so I'm going to hand this over to you again so you can give us an overview of the classes that are starting now that people can register for right now and jump in. Well, thank you, Bernadette. Yeah, it's always a pleasure uh, uh, spending time with you uh, under any circumstances. So just give me a call. You too, uh, Javier. Uh, Javier is part of IPAC EDU, and so is Bernadette, by the way. They're both uh, instructors, co-instructors. So listen, so it was uh, the height of COVID. People were locked down at home. Uh, many were afraid. Many were irritated that they were locked down, but they were isolated. And, you know, I had run this IPAC um, institution for research 
uh, since about 2015 doing independent research funded by the public. And, you know, listen, let's just say I'm not getting wealthy doing independent research, right? It's just not happening. Okay. Now, that can change. I mean, if you love me, please do go to ipaknowledge.org and become a monthly supporter. Uh, but the, the fact is, I'm a, I'm a humanitarian, and I was on a boat, not my boat, I don't can't afford a boat, uh, on, out on, on uh, Lake St. Clair. And I had this epiphany that, you know, I was, I was frustrated that there are certain people that were promulgating, I have to use the word misinformation, about the COVID-19 virus. They were telling people that the virus was nothing more than exosomes, for instance. Well, I've studied exosomes. I've sequenced organisms like viruses and bacteria in the lab. And, you know, uh, I'm familiar with the science of exosomes enough to say that they're not viruses. It's interesting because exosomes themselves could be a progenitor to a virus. It's a great hypothesis. But I also know that the beta coronaviruses are a well-established taxonomic group of viruses that have been around for a long time. And so we've got these even today on my Substack, just five minutes ago, I have another person going, I'm surprised you write this article because viruses don't exist. I'm like, okay, how in the world would we ever fight against an oligarchy that wants to vaccinate you against a virus by saying, we know that the virus that you're trying to vaccinate us against doesn't exist, even though in April 2020, I published a study analyzing all the proteins from the virus, even though, whatever, the point is, it's fr it was frustrating. So with a mix of you know compassion for people that were locked down and frustration about, I don't want a mom or a dad or a grandmother, or grandfather or an aunt or a, an adult going to a podium in their rare three minutes and talking to public health people, making public comments and just completely debasing their position by saying something that was incorrect scientifically or biologically or mathematically. But the epiphany that I had was, you know, they're locked down at home, they're lonely, they're isolated. This is true for a lot of people in life, even without COVID. There are grandparents that sit around the house waiting to be called off the bench for their kids to babysit, for instance. So they have some time on their hands and, you know, they might want to learn something. In my experience, oh, the people in the vaccine risk aware community love science. They love studies. They love to be able to talk about them. Del Bigtree does a great job breaking down studies live online, right? And I keep hearing, I wish I knew science better. I wish I understood it better. So I decided to put together a course, how to read and interpret a scientific study to help the public. But the epiphany that I had was, hey, I can teach bio one and I can teach bio two. I can teach environmental toxicology. I can teach how to analyze data from a vaccine study. I started shaking when I was on the boat because I realized that the positive impact that this could have on people's lives to make them much more firm in their knowledge base was huge. And I could hire other people to teach for me. And so I created IPAC EDU. It's an LLC, a limited liability company. And, you know, kind of arbitrarily, I did a little bit of research on a cost model. You know, there are like three price points. Uh, you know, so if I'm going to teach a full course, it's going to be 15 lectures, right? And I could offer them at thousands of dollars and make my budget and have few students, or I could offer it less than $200, around 160, 180, 
make budget and have an intermediate amount of students, or I could offer it at like a buck a lecture and get just gobs and gobs of students. Either way, mathematically it works out. But the problem is if I offer all the courses at a dollar a lecture, then people don't value their experience. It's a throwaway. So I decided to make the lectures live. Each and every class meeting is live, even if the video that's being played is from a previous year. And the instructors are there at the beginning and at the end for general discussion and question and answer. This way we help you know, build a community. Well, the response was fantastic. I mean, I did BioA. I had people taking BioA from people with high school degrees to, that's the first semester of biology, to PhDs in engineering who wanted to understand biology for the first time in their lives. And I had two PhDs in engineering, so they are literally parallel in the same class by accident. It was amazing. Um, but the students understand it. I could tell they could understand the, 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 the topic, the, the information. So you go to a live class. And you watch it one time. If you don't get everything you can, or you get interrupted because you left something on the stove, you can just go back to the video afterwards. Or if you miss a class, you go back to the video afterwards. Um, and so the idea here, like the idea to make yourself radically healthy as a protest to, you know, the oligarchs who think that health comes from a needle, make yourself radically healthy. How about make yourself radically intelligent, radically informed, radically educated, to the point where you can run circles around school board members. You, you can talk to scientists uh, at teaching your kids science. And, you know, one of the students that I have took bio one and bio two. She, and I, I asked the students, why are you taking the class? She said, well, my, my, my brother's a doctor and his wife is a nurse practitioner. And they come over, you know, we see each other on holidays and so on. And I try to talk with them, but they just think I'm crazy. Well, after taking bio one and bio two, she then took bioinformatics and was analyzing viral sequences with me. Guess what she told me? She said, they listen to me now. They pay attention because I'm using their language. So th there's a barrier between reaching people that are more educated than you are just because you don't know the language. So I wanted to set it up with curriculum tracks where it's important if we have your attention on the importance of education now. Yes, biology is one thing, but there's also law, right? You don't have to be a lawyer to want to know how law works. You don't ever have to have an aspiration to be a lawyer to understand your rights under the U.S. Constitution. So I, I cast that uh, the net wide and I found a great instructor, Rob Rigney, who does. I said, can you teach a course? I, I actually did my own research on a bunch of people who teach in law. And I was looking for an intersection between someone who's interested in the history of Western civilization and law, law itself. And I found a law professor who specializes in that in particular. And I called him up and I said, can we have a Zoom call? And I said, listen, this is the course I want taught. I want people who take this course to understand. It's nice to say my rights are given to me by God. That's fine. But where were they codified? At what point in time in history did someone say, you can't take my sandwich, you know, that you can't take my cheese. It's my cheese, not yours, right? You, you can't cross the threshold of my door, right? You, you can't enslave me and all of these things. What, what's the history of law in the West and in, in particular the United States? I showed him the, the syllabus for the course that I had in mind. He said, Jack, I don't know how you found me, but I've been wanting to teach this course for the past 15 years, all right? 
Okay, so there's right, there's an intuition or something that I have in this. And so we have a psychology track, and I want Dr. Shannon Croner to come and teach her course, which is a read of all the classics, you know, uh, in, uh, of the, the greatest minds in psychology. That sounds like a real fun course to me. I'm going to take that course. Well, I, I love Shannon, too. I'm going to spend some time with her. But the point is, you know, once she does that, then you have a foundation for other courses in psychology. We can, if you take psychology one with us, then we can bring on um, adolescent psychology. We can bring on educational psychology. We can bring on what is it called um, abnormal psychology. Who doesn't want to have a course in abnormal psychology, right? It's such a so just to know what kind of crazy is out there. Sorry, sorry about that. That wasn't nice. Okay, get it. The point. The point is then we have the, the law. We have psychology, and then I'm a numbers guy. I made a living and a career on creating algorithms for the analysis of complex data machine learning, genetic algorithms, and uh, association analysis. We just talked about that to a blue in the face, right? Correlation. Um, and, I, and I've taught bioinformatics for years. So why not teach people bioinformatics? And then I can hire them to help me with my studies on pathogenic priming in IPAC, which is exactly what's happening. But why not also teach biostatistics? So we have a great biostatistician. His name's Matthew Buns, and he teaches with us applied biostats. And the, uh, an epidemiologist who's tenure tracked at a major university contacted me and said, can I come to your place and teach with you? And uh, an epidemiologist is teaching math of vaccine science right now with me. And she's also going to teach a course in epidemiology and another course in research ethics, clinical research ethics. So Bernadette and I teach um, medical ethics, informed consent, and uh, human rights. She's going to teach a formal course in research ethics. So you guys know exactly what should be expected of any research study, right? So just to, to make you guys uh, the, 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 the vaccine risk aware or just humanity itself so insanely educated and informed that you will stand on firm ground with the fundamentals and the applied Mark, right now, Mark McDonald is teaching a course, How Not to Be Fooled, as an anti-propaganda course. He's written two books, and yet he has room for 15 lectures. I mean, this guy, it's amazing. So we do have the best instructors, and I'm happy to say, this is, I hope you're sitting down, that Geert Vandenbosch is coming to teach with us. He's going to teach a course on the pandemics, uh, the, um, the immune, immunobiology of pandemics and epidemics, which is a fascinating topic. I myself teach a course in immunology. I had 107 students in that course, and the students, believe me, they learned immunology, I can tell, because they created an information sheet that was will just blow your mind. And um, doctor, <coughs> we have a bunch of doctors and physicians, other physicians coming and teaching. Um, Dr. David Brownstein teaches a course on holistic approaches to human human health and wellness. 147 students in his class. So he's beat me out. I need to find a course where I have more than 147. It's like a competition, right? Uh, Jen Kozak-Uster right now is teaching a course in integrative approaches to mental wellness. Such an important topic for our time. She has a good number of students. Uh, but I want to just sh share the screen here for those of you that, oh, I have to be a co-host, Bernadette. But I'll, I'll share the screen when I can um, to, to make sure I'm not leaving out some of the, oh, the vaccine course by Andre Angel and Tony, of course, is being co-taught by Javier. Uh, right now, it's open right now. The registration for that is open until the end of the month. Um, 
And that, Jack, that um, class in particular is, it's so exciting. You know, when, um, oh, his name just went out of my head. Who, the, tell me. Andre. Andre, hello. Um, When he first started this project years ago, you know, and I I worked with him somewhat in the beginning on this, and I didn't even know Javier at the time. And it's so in-depth. It, it is like the university of vaccines for the science, the politics, the people, everything is there and the illnesses. It's just, it's just so exciting that it is now there and live. And I, you know, the other thing I really wanted to add is listening to you talk, you know, when I, when I went back to college, I, I did my first two years of, of college right out of high school. And then I dropped out, got married, lived 20 years, got some life experience. I went back to school just before I turned 40. And I tell you, learning as an adult, because you want to learn, because you're excited about the information. You know, I was there just to learn, not because I needed to pass this course to get this degree because my mother, whatever, you know what I mean? I was there. It was knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I wanted to take it in. And it was such a fantastic experience. So I just want to encourage people um, to, you know, you might not have done well. You think maybe I can't do this. I didn't do well in school. But if you're coming with a passion to want to know, to the experience, you will learn. And the beauty of how this is taught, you know, a lot of times your your old experience with schooling, it was almost like they like a challenge or trying to trick you to see, you know, you know, how hard they can make it to get an A, right? But your approach to learning, IPAC uh, uh, to teaching and IPAC's a- approach to teaching is to ensure you know the material. So you ask questions, you know, and you get your questions answered and you can go back and review. Um, it's just, to me, it's a whole different experience. And and it goes a little bit back to the Montessori approach. Now, my son, when he was little, he went to Montessori school. And Maria Montessori, who started this, she believed children should learn certain things in a school setting up until I can't remember the age, um, seven, eight, nine. I don't remember. I'll have to look this up. But but there was a stretch of time there where she said, no, kids cannot sit still and they should not be in a classroom. They should be out running, playing, working in the yard, getting uh, practical life skills. And then later on, when they're a different developmental stage of life, bring them back to the classroom, bring them back to learn. Um, And so I just know as an adult, I got way more out of my adult education than I got like in high school, where I was just trying to get grades. I didn't care what I learned. I couldn't remember anything five minutes after I took the test. (laughs) And, And there are no tests in your school, right? For most of, yeah, for most of our courses, it won't be. I mean, so we'll, we'll get to the testing aspect in a minute. So most of the, there, it's not passive, it's active learning because there's reading that you can do and there's discussion, right? But, um, you know, one of the, my, you're right about mature students or adult students. So this is a form of adult education. There's no certificate, no degree for the most part. Um, when I was, um, on a, my first few years as an assistant professor. I was in the Department of Biological Sciences at the University of Massachusetts. And there was this, there was this guy that was teaching biology to non-majors. And 
it was like the hot potato. He was retiring. Nobody wanted his course, right? I said, oh, I'll take it. They all looked at me like, you know, we're kind of counting on you to get the grant money. What are you going to be teaching this course, right? So I was walking down the hallway and he came up to me and he said, you know, you're going to hate this course. You're just going to hate it. And I said, well, really, why is that? He goes, nobody wants to be there. there it's non-majors. They all think that they should be taking just engineering. They all think that they should be just taking, you know, whatever they're in, chemistry or something. And uh, I said, okay, thanks for your input. First day of class, I, we show up. There's 300 students from all across the university there. Big, big class. Lots of grading, right? That's why nobody wanted it was a grading, right? It's a drudge to grade. So I go... All right. Hi, I'm Dr. James Lansweiler. Nice to meet you. I've taught a lot as a graduate student. To be honest with you, this is my first course as a as a assistant professor. I said, who wants to be here? Raise your hand. They're like, what? I said, raise your hand if you want to be here. Nobody raised their hand. I went, I want to be here. Okay. It's important that you know I want to be here. I go, raise your hand if you want an A in this class. <laughs> Well, you can see them all just fly up. Of course I want an A. And so I said, all right, you all have an A. I'm giving you an A right now. It's my job to take it away from you. Yep. You want that A on your record? Transcript, show home. Look, mom, I got an A. Dad got an A. I'm your worst enemy, but I'm also your best friend because I'm going to make sure that you get an A. They all looked at each other like, whoa, this is going to be an easy class. And then I said, but it's not going to be an easy class. <laughs> okay. So what I did was I taught from the heart. And from day one, I said, you only have one body. This is not a health class, but the better you understand how your body, the better you understand biology and all of its aspects, you're going to understand yourself and the world around you. Everything you eat was alive at one time. So you need to understand biological processes. So I just give this whole like motivational speech. Well, what I would do is I would structure my lectures so that they were give the basics and then some application. And in the first thing I did was I said, listen, um, you're going to be, your, your exams are going to have about 50 questions each, but you're all going to get all the questions right. And you're not going to know why you're getting the questions right. They're like, how are you going to do that? I'm not going to tell you. Okay, so I would structure my exams where, you, you know, you have the stupid multiple choice where the answers to the hard questions were the wrong answers in the early multiple choice, because it's all about memory. People, they try to learn. They love me now. They want to learn for me. They got something to lose, but they just can't remember what, you know, Krebs cycle is. Right. Here's a picture. Identify it. Well, the Krebs cycle was just asked 10 questions below. It primes them and they remember, okay? So before the second lecture, I said, everybody, I have, I have an opportunity for you to earn um, 10 points on your final exam. You know, nobody's going to need it um, if, if, uh, if you do a project with me. is extra credit, but not everybody in the class qualifies. And they were like, well, what is it? And I said, well... Everybody has to agree that only a small percentage of people can get these extra credit points. But if one person objects, then the entire program scrapped. And that's, that's fine with me. It's up to you guys. Do you want this? They're like, yeah, okay. So they agreed not knowing what it was. I said, okay, if you smoke, 
come down and see me after class. If you're currently a smoker, come down and see me after class. And so about 12 people, 13 people maybe came down afterwards. And I said, okay, uh, your project, your semester long project is get a journal and a piece of paper uh, get, and a pen, sorry, get a journal and a pen. Every time you light up a cigarette, just write down what, where you are, what you see, what you're doing, just your experience of exactly that moment. Oh, are we supposed to tell you why we're smoking? No, just tell me what you see, where you are, what you're doing, what you're thinking about, okay? And they said, and what? And I said, that's it. Do we have to quit? No, you don't have to quit, just keep a journal. Okay, so about 15 weeks go by, right? And everybody's taking their exam. Everybody's getting, they're acing all of their exams. Exam one, everybody got an A. Exam two, everybody got an A. My department chair calls me into his office and says, you can't give these kids all A's. You got a grade on a curve. He goes, show me the exams and the, re the exam results. I want a pile of graded exams for the, the third exam. Okay, no problem. So I hand graded them. I brought them into him and he's going, how the hell do you do this? Every one of them got every, right? They're the same questions that they're supposed to be taught on the curriculum. He's like, I don't know who you are, where you came from, but you're just crazy. Just go, go out of my office. Okay, so <clears throat> last day at the final exam, I say, if, you, if you're part of the smoking project, wait until the end of the exam, stick around, and I'll see if you get your final extra credits. Right. So the same people came, all 13 came down, 12 or 13 came down. And I, I, I had told them, bring your journals. So they brought their journals and they put them on the desk. They started to put them on the desk. I'm like, no, you don't have to hand them to me. I don't need them. They're like, why? I go, okay, I have a question. There's like 12 people all around me. I go, raise your hand if you quit smoking. Every last one of them quit smoking. And I said, well, why did you quit smoking? They said, well, because I, I, I learned my triggers, number one. Uh, I learned to think about what I was anxious about. And it, it just caused me to appreciate my surroundings. There was these kinds of answers. And I'll never forget that experience because at that point in time, I realized that education was far more than facts and figures and knowledge. Education was a way to a better life, not because you have a resume or degree, but it's a way to a better life because you understand yourself better. And that's the philosophy I'm bringing to IPEC EDU. In every course that I teach, you know, um, you'd be daunted if you saw the immunology syllabus, if you saw the, if I just said, oh, here's lecture 10 from immunology, you'd say, I could never understand that but you would understand it if you started from day one. So I don't handhold, we just, we know how to do it. And, and all of my instructors are challenged. If they develop a, <coughs> excuse me, their course, I say, listen, we have to change the world, right? We have, we have brick and mortar universities. They charge 40, 50,000, $60,000 a year, right? The kids come out with a degree, they're in debt basically for the rest of their lives, especially if they're in medical school. It, it doesn't help to have a high cost education. What if we inverted the university model and made the world's largest university and educated the entire public in a way that, hey, we have this massively crazy and educated public and raise the bar for all of our discussions about everything. Not that that's the only way to think about this, 
right? I'm not looking down my nose at anybody who doesn't have an education. But if we did this, then it would be a good way to use my time and change the world for the better. Jack, I, I just so love this. I, I love your approach to teaching. Um, I love your heart and soul. It, it's so inspiring. Um, one thing I wanted to 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 have us recall, remember in, in the class that we had, the medical ethics class, there was an individual, a doctor, who brought up the fact that a lot of the content that we were going over, Nuremberg Code, you know, and such, were covered in some of the, the curriculum that they had to do. But the, our discussion kind of led to the fact that they, it wasn't being perceived um, in depth. They were taking the test to pass it. They were reading the material to pass it, not to incorporate it truly into who they were as physicians, not to truly embrace it into their way. It was just something that they had to be able to say they knew and memorize, but they didn't embody it. And you bring the heart and soul, your approach and your instructor's approach. And because of the individuals coming to you, they don't want a degree. They're not doing this for careers. They really want to enrich themselves to, to improve their life, to improve the life of their children, to improve the, the life of the country mm-hmm. who they see going in the wrong direction. And so I find this so very inspiring. So people who are hearing all of this, where do they go? Um, to sign up for classes, and you've already got some underway. Is it too late for people to sign up for classes that just started, or can they jump in now? So the the way that we're structured is, according to a classic uh, college semester model, so we have a fall semester that starts in September, and we have a spring semester that starts in January. The course is run mostly for 15 weeks, and we have some summer sessions as well. So um, unfortunately, the uh, courses that started in September, we just closed registration on them because we keep it open for a month past September. Okay. And the reason for that is um, we have, you know, you're f- your five lectures in, okay? And they're recorded and you can catch up. If you really, really want a course that you see it was offered in the fall, get a hold of me and I'll open up registration for a day. But I expect that we've, we've got, we're tapped out probably for the people that want to take courses right now. So, um I'll show you where to get there in a moment, but I wanted to address two things. First, we're going to be offering continuing medical education credits in January. What? Yes, we are. We qualify with an with a organization. We're going to start with one course, maybe two. So if you know physicians that would like to get their CMEs with us, fantastic. Let's have them. Um we're going to be then seeking continuing legal education credits and other continuing professional education credits because we do want to change medicine from the inside out. We want to improve the world all the way across the board so that they understand. And the, the, the phrase that comes to me in our discussion is, we, like you said, a lot of times when you go to medical school, you memorize things, you pass the exam, you got your grade, you get your grades, you finish the course, you get the degree. Our goal is to impart a living knowledge. We focus on processes. We we focus on systems. We focus on not just regurgitating knowledge, but how things work and, you know, how things fit together and the the whys and the hows of things, not just label everything and, and, you know, memorize things. And so um, uh, the best way to show you how to find us is really just to go to the website. So there's two registration 
interfaces. One is if a we have a monthly payment under course listings. This will take you to PayPal, and they're organized by spring registration monthly plans. So yeah, and for our radio audience, it's ipac-edu.org, and then click on the course listings tab. Yep, exactly. So um, ipac. IPAK. Oh, what, what did I say? Did I say C? Oh, no, you just you said IPAC. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, IPAK-EDU.org. And um, <clears throat> so you'll see Bio B is a second semester Bio A, the biology of the immune system, immune biology and pandemics and epidemics. We have a course in ecology. Ecology is not environmental science. It's the study of plants and animals in their environment. Yeah. That is an important course if you're into complex systems and you want to understand complex systems. Um, we have a philosopher coming to teach for us. Her name is Tori Alexander. She's an author. The Perils of Coding Humanity, a response to transhumanism. Mm. This is going to be a fascinating course. There's my how to read and interpret a scientific study, spreadsheets, uh, so on. Herbology and health was a very, very popular course. Oh, wow. That's taught by five people. Um, we're trying to get people to take environmental science where, you know, and also our focus of our courses are more, you know, we have this uh, philosophy of, um, of uh, <clears throat> you've heard of the philosophy of sustainability. The sustainability is actually a stalemate that in favors, you know, locking in big ag exactly right so we're moving towards regenerative everything regenerative health regenerative medicine regenerative agriculture and we have a slew of instructors coming uh from the uk actually on regenerative health um but then if you look at the fall fall semester courses biology and nutrition by dr gata that's from the from preconception to old age you know how to address there's the vaccine course is going right now. Pam Popper, Dr. Pam Popper offered resolving nutritional confusion. Now, we didn't get enough students in that, but that's an important one if you're struggling to try to understand what diet is right for you, for instance. Um, math of vaccine science, intro to bio, uh, environmental toxicology, uh, ecosystem and human health. And at any, any time we can do a key readings course. So that is uh, the, the one interface. And then we also have a registration interface if you just want to pay uh, upfront the 180 or so. Um, um, Jack, explain what the key readings course is. That one's really oh, interesting. Okay. So, so key readings course is actually a very, very difficult teach, course to teach. Uh, Dr. Honolay Ely and I tried to do a key readings course in COVID just as in real time as everything was coming. Well, guess what? There was a torrent of yeah. publications right so we chose the topics beforehand and we try to choose the, the 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 topics but he was working on his um uh what's it called grand jury investigation at the same time so we only got we only managed to get halfway through the key readings course and in, 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 and so i decided to give everybody that was in that course another free course you know just just come out over here and take another free course next semester um but a key readings course would be something like if we had enough students that were interested in really reading all about metals in vaccines would be an interesting one. And we would literally just go to the literature and read all the studies, all right? Or we might get Bobby's book, uh, Bobby Kennedy's book and read Thimerosal book or key chapters out of it. We, how about um, 
biological approaches to autism treatment. That would be a key reading course. So we'd actually read the studies on fecal you know, matter transplantation and, and go through them and discuss them as a group. So it could be any topic whatsoever. And I always challenge my instructors to, as I say to them, when you put a, together a course for IPAC EDU, you're not just going to get 30 students for a year for 15 years and then you're done. You could reach 30,000. We could reach 50,000 students. Who I have no idea. So please make sure that your course is the course that in 10 years or 20 years, people point to that course and say, that changed the world. It's a challenge to the instructors to change the world through your course. It's that important. Okay. And so even if we don't change the world for everybody, we'll at least change the world for somebody. And that's a huge thing with living knowledge, right? So, you know, I understand it's uh, people might not have money. Uh, to just throw $180 at this, but it's one hour a week for 15 weeks. You're really giving yourself the gift of knowledge and the gift of community. And, you know, we have the number one complaint that we have from students is that we have too many good courses from too many good instructors and we can't take them all. So, you know, who knows what's going to come in the future. We might start bundling the courses and offering bundle discounts, things like that. Who knows? I've tried the coupon thing. The students say, stop, your courses are too cheap and you need the money. So we want to give you the money for this. But, uh, and I have to say, gift cards are available. You can give someone the gift of knowledge. They make great stocking stuffers to print out the gift card and put it in somebody's stocking. Or if you're Jewish, you can give it out on your holiday or whatever you know, religion, uh, or just because of somebody's birthday, or just because you love someone. That's how about a nice card? I bought this course for you just because I love you. How about that? I mean, and then if they come in and they happen to take Andre's vaccine course with Javier, and then they learn a lot about vaccines, so much the better, right? It's a goal. The goal is to empower the public with knowledge 100% to empower them so that they themselves can go change the world now another program that we just launched it's actually a joint project between IPAC and IPAC EDU in that we're fundraising at IPAC the research foundation to develop uh, environmental toxicology curriculum with someone who's not myself somebody who's better than I am in environmental toxicology, somebody who's smoother in their presentation, got many more years of experience. And this person has expressed sincere interest so that an environmental toxicology course can be offered for free to all school board members across the United States. Oh, wow. And all science teachers across the United States with a person who's, I, I want to be this person when I grow up. I can't say that person's name because there's no contract or anything. I don't want to fundraise using that, you know, their, their legacy yet, but we will for sure. But the idea is to make sure that if we can approach the school board members and teach them the importance of fluoride and the interaction between fluoride and aluminum, <coughs> the pesticides, herbicides, dieseling buses like yeah. I took care of in Pennsylvania, right? Then the idling, the idling diesel buses, I should say, air pollution, water pollution. And of course the crap food that comes into schools is full of, yeah. you know, glyphosate. If we can teach school board members and scientists, the fundamentals about this, mm -hmm. then we will have done such a radically important and good big thing for the future, future generations 
that it's almost immeasurable. And so, you know, I'm not asking everybody to break their piggy bank and come over to IPAC EDU or IPAC and, and donate uh, for this. The donation page is up, but this is a monthly donation thing because curriculum development will take time. There you go. I'm asking people to help me find large donors, large, large donors who are ready to donate $20,000 at a punch because we need about fifty to $100,000 to secure this person's interest. And this person, once, once you find out who it is, you'll say, oh, yeah, this is no brainer. This is going to work because, like I said, he's smooth, suave, debonair, very symmetrical. And super, <laughs> super informed. So if we could do this, this would be our combined legacy, right? Our community yeah. will have absolutely radically changed the world. The course won't have anything on vaccines whatsoever because that's not the point. The point is that we have deeply held concerns about environmental toxins of all types, right? Mm -hmm. And so let's do this together and uh the course itself will probably be also be available to the public through ipac edu and so um yeah I'm, I'm hoping that this is like a dream come true for me really well you know it just i i love this direction it's going because an educated public and then those people who are in positions temporarily of authority like they get elected to a school board they need to be empowered with this knowledge in order to make the right decisions um, I think Javier's got to go. So he's going to fly. Thanks for being with us, Dr. X. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just so important to have an empowered, uh, school board. And I think what will hap happen there is once they have this knowledge base, it will help them see the conflicts of interest that are coming from other areas. Um, you know, because what's going on right now, like in a lot of schools, there's a don't don't test, don't tell policy mm -hmm. on some environmental things, one of them being PCBs in old school buildings. If you don't test, you don't have to tell parents that there might be these toxins being exposed to their children. But if you test and find them out, then you have to do something about it. But so, so having this education, it will make them be stronger, bolder, make those decisions that protect the children rather than protecting the system. Because it's just like it's just like trying to work with these health departments. They work so hard to protect the health system, the vaccine program, that they've forgotten about really protecting the individuals and protecting the children, right? Yeah, they want to yeah. and and I in my own personal experience, the commonality between the resistance to looking at dangers that kids are being exposed to in schools is exactly like the resistance you get in the, in the vaccine safety movement. They just don't want to see it. No, 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 no. I don't want to hear it. Cause if they hear it, they have to do something about it. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. So the rollout plan here, of course, is that we would uh, ask you, uh, the, the public, to bring this program to you, the school boards in your school district, even if you don't have children, and say, I'm not here to judge you or criticize you. I'm here to give you a gift. Mm -hmm. Each and every one of you, by virtue of your station and the position that you hold and the appointment that you've accepted or whatever it is, you were elected to this, we're going to give you access to this course for free. Take it on your own time. Mm -hmm. You take this course and then... Many of them will take it. It turns out then the next election 
cycle, if you do this well in your school district, you can say, by the way, did you do you have your certificate from IPAC-EDU on your environmental toxicology course? Because my, my, my kids spend most of their day here in this environment and I'm entrusting you with their safety. Yeah. And I know if you have this course that you're, you're going to know what you need to know. So then the school boards might then feel it's like, you know, a political star, gold star for them to be qualified to be a school board member because they understand environmental toxicology. And they are the stewards of not just the minds of our children, but the safety of their children, and they know it. And so th this is a very, I want to say, high-minded in initiative. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's going to be 100% successful. We're going to finally see uh, the toxins taken out of our schools. And Bernadette, given your experience in this, I know yeah. how close this is to your heart. Very close to my heart. Thank you for that. And, you know, uh, after we moved here to East Tennessee, even though I don't have a child in, in the school district anymore, I, with another parent, or actually not parent, another woman uh, who doesn't even have children, but who's very concerned about children's health, we got a meeting with the school superintendent, the Hawkins County School Superintendent here. Um, so I, I'm hoping that maybe superintendents can be also offered because they yeah. really do a lot of control with the schools. And I tell you, it was a fantastic meeting. I mean, um, this the people working in, in this county for the schools are really putting children's health first in many ways. And what I loved is they were very receptive. I sent, gave them information about HOCL, hypochlorous acid, which is just electrolyzed salt water, and then followed up with a bunch of data and links and, and companies yeah. and videos mm -hmm. on it. And they were open to this idea. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing back to them to see if they'll switch from like a certain toxic product over to this non-toxic. These are the sort of conversations that you can have. And especially if you're going, if you're approaching these entities and these individuals, not from a confrontational place, but a place of education and what can we do? What do you know? What do we all need to learn to work together um, to protect the kids? Yeah, that's it. So any anybody in the school district that's in charge of uh, making decisions would qualify. It's not just the school board. So we don't yeah. want to pit one group against the other inadvertently, right? So, no. You know, no. taking a look at this, then what, what does that translate into? It first thing that these people are going to do if they take my environmental toxicology course, even even though it's it's a great course, by the way, I'm endorsing my own course. I know that's vainglorious, but <laughs> it's I'm told by the students it's a great course. Um, the first thing they're going to do is change their own life because mm -hmm. we talk about toxins in the home too. Mm -hmm. And when they realize that they're no longer going to drink tap water because they can go to the environmental working groups website, and they can find the, the toxins in their tap water that are higher than uh, the, 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 the safe, safe limits um, set by environmental working group. Uh, then they're going to wonder why they're allowing kids to drink from the water fountain. Mm -hmm. So what do we do about that? Mm -hmm. You know, we have to clean up our water supply or we have an alternative source of water or we put massive filtration systems in. It sounds like it's heavy lifting and it's politically uh, from a budget perspective. But if you then get a hundred parents involved and say, this is your school, we don't have the money to do it. We, you need you guys to hold fundraisers and we'll put a major water filtration system right here. There you go. There yeah. you go. They're so practical. Mm -hmm. solutions don't put mm -hmm. the responsibility on the school for the solution be the solution yourself and live it yeah um because they will be easy to talk to once they take these courses 
Exactly. I love that. And we got like two more minutes here to wrap up. Um, what are your final words here? Remember, it's IPAK-EDU.org to go check it out. And nobody can register now, but they can check it out. And Actually, be- no, they can what? they can register now for spring. We just... Oh. The courses are open in the spring, and so because we afford, we allow monthly monthly donate monthly payments. Yeah. Then you can start paying now for what you're taking in the spring is forty or forty five dollars a month. So okay. it, it, it spreads out the pain a little bit there. Yeah. Uh, but absolutely, you can you can register now and you can get a gift card now and you know give yourself the gift of knowledge. It seems like it's a, a long way off, but you, before you know, January is going to be here before you know it. Yeah. One of the courses I didn't mention is a passion play by me. I'm teaching the biology of cancer. Uh, it's part of my way of memorializing my mom who died from breast cancer. And that's, you know, we're six, six, five or six lectures into that. And, you know, when you have somebody who wants to share, that's what I want to do. It's, it's no fun to just know stuff all to yourself and, you know, mm-hmm. be put on a pedestal because you're the great doctor or the great scientist. I don't enjoy that. What I enjoy are real deep, meaningful conversations with people. Uh, I want to share the gift of knowledge, and that's what this is all about. And I'm just so grateful, Bernadette, for you for bringing me on to share this vision that I have for the future. Well, you know, it, it's just such an honor to know you. It, it, this, is, this is relationships. This is friendships. This is humanity. I mean, I'm always very much moved far beyond the intellectual conversation that we always had. And I'm not going to get teary, but I lost my mother to breast cancer too in 2019. Mm-hmm. So in these days, I will be taking that course from you. Um, so yeah. Dr. James Lyons-Weiler, thank you uh, for this time spent together. We'll have you on again soon. And until then, God bless. Thank you, Bernadette. We'll talk soon. take us to the break. (laughs) Very good. So just in the news of people have been living under a rock or are listening to the mainstream media, um, I would uh, actually suggest everyone go to the popular rationalism website of our host, or of our recent guest here, Mm -hmm. James Lyons-Weiler, and look up a great article that he wrote uh, that says, knowledge about lack of protection against transmission is old, not new, in which he actually outlines the uh, EU Parliament taking to task Pfizer and basically saying and asking them, did you know that it did not stop transmission before we went on this? Mm-hmm. And of yes. course, uh, <laughs> the uh, one, uh, Pfizer's Janine Small, president of international development market, said in response, no, you know, we had to really move at the speed of science to know what is taking place in the market. You know, in the market, in the market, the fact that she included the word market in that just fries me. Yeah. Yeah. And we, you know, all of us, we, you know, we've been screaming for a couple of years. There's no evidence it stops transmission. Why didn't they study that? And they finally, after billions of injections, finally admit it. This is infuriating. Um, yeah, and it's going viral. It's it's all over the Twitter sphere and everything. So may it stay that way because again, people that actually understand how to read the scientific literature and point yeah. it out, like you said, to that fact that they're not showing any evidence that no. it's stopping transmission, but it was always implied. Always and implied, yeah. The government the government officials like Fauci, Burks, and uh President Biden all stated that. They said, take the shot, you won't get you won't get it and you'll stop the transmission. Right. 
never had to say it. Yeah. And, you know, for we're going to go on a break here um, in and but when we come back, we're going to talk with a, some people that have been directly impacted, some firefighters by the lies about what these products can do, um, lost their jobs, but we're, we're going to have a great conversation with them. And we're not done fighting for this great country to come back to its senses. <laughs> Absolutely. No, there is so much more to be done. And again, more things to uncover, especially with everything that's been going on with uh, not only the jabs, but vaccines in general and health in particular. We, Silver lining, we've said this before, uh, Javier, the silver lining of COVID has been people have been awakened. And I love to encourage these have been in this for years, for decades, trying to fight against big pharma takeover of our federal oversight agencies. We never lose anybody on our side. Once your eyes are open and you see it, you never go back to the other side. So we're, we're going we're gonna to win this and we're going to protect health. So everybody you're listening to an informed life radio on 1150 AM KKNW, we're going to take a break and we'll be back. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than the flame paper. The flame paper is written for the people by the people who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it healthcare, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. The views expressed on this program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and not necessarily those of KKNW, its management, or other advertisers. Contests are the responsibility of the hosts of this program and not KKNW. This is Alternative Talk 1150 AM, KKNW Seattle, and KNUC 98.9 HD3 Seattle. As we take a break between these two hours of an informed life radio, I'm Nate here in Alternative Talk 1150 AM for a four o'clock traffic update. 
And right now on 405 southbound, just south of State Route 520, we do have a disabled vehicle blocking the center lane, and that's going to cause increasing buildups as time goes on. Now for the rest of the 405, southbound from 520 to the Kennedale Hill is stop and go at this time, and northbound is experiencing heavy congestion from the southern I-5 interchange up until the 900, and then after the 520 heading north, it's going to be quite choppy all the way to the northern I-5 interchange. Now looking at I-5 southbound between Northgate Way up until I-90 is stop and go all the way, and then more congestion will occur after you go over the southern 405 interchange. Northbound I-5, slow from Boeing Field up until I-90, and then it becomes backed up again after the northern end of the express lanes all the way to the northern 405 interchange. Finally, westbound on the bridges, both I-90 and 520 become backed up after heading over the water. And that's it for this traffic update. Stay tuned for after this news break. On the second hour of Informed Life Radio, we'll talk about brave firefighters taking action. NBC News Radio. I'm Brian Shook. The 15-year-old suspect in the mass shooting that killed five people in Raleigh, North Carolina on Thursday is going to be charged as an adult. Wake County District Attorney Lauren Freeman said petitions have been filed by her office to transfer the case to Superior Court. Stocks fell sharply to end a volatile week on Wall Street. Liz Warner reports. The consumer price index increased during the month of September, but that didn't stop the Dow Jones Industrial Average from rising by more than 900 points at times today. At the closing bell, the Dow gained 827 points, the S&P 500 rose 92 points, and the Nasdaq gained 232 points. Liz Warner reporting. The Justice Department is asking a federal appeals court to vacate an order that appoints a special master to review documents taken from the FBI's search of former President Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate. The DOJ is also looking to throw out Trump's legal challenge entirely. Russian military forces are targeting Ukrainian civilians in hundreds of missile strikes launched this past week. A senior U.S. military official said Russia is trying to retaliate after an explosion damaged a Crimean bridge. The official said Russia is deliberately targeting civilians and infrastructure like electricity and bridges in Ukraine. Mental health professionals are outraged that Amazon is selling what some describe as a suicide kit filled with lethal chemicals. The body's natural inclination is not to experience pain. So individuals may even research what is going to be most quote-unquote effective. Dr. Rita Walker at the University of Houston says having these products available in just two days is problematic. Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling is remembering actor Robbie Coltrane after it was announced he passed away at the age of 72. You're listening to the latest from NBC News Radio. excited that you're listening to the show right now and if you like what we're doing here you're gonna love what we do on positivetalkradio.net on positivetalkradio.net each show is created live packed with positive information with real people discussing real issues and positive solutions that can work for everyone i hope that you'll join us on positivetalkradio.net and listen to all 295 plus shows i think it's worth your time but then that's just me. That's PositiveTalkRadio.net, your home for great progressive positive podcasts. And now for your alternative talk weather outlook. For today, we'll have mostly sunny skies throughout the day, giving us a high near 70 and northwest winds up to 6 miles per hour. Overnight, mostly clear with a low around 53. 
Heading into the weekend, we'll have nothing but sunshine on both Saturday and Sunday, bringing us highs into the upper 80s and overnight lows in the low 50s. And finally for Monday, we go back to mostly sunny skies, high near 70. The views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of KKNW, its management, or other advertisers. This program is sponsored by Informed Choice Washington. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. Hello and welcome back to an Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW and streaming to CHD TV. Uh, we are so very grateful to all of the wonderful members of Informed Choice Washington who make this show possible. So thank you for your continued support so we can put out to the greater Puget Sound region and with our CHD connections and the internet to the world. Um, really important information, you know, because no matter where you are, this human journey we're on um, is very similar and we can learn from each other, even if we live in, in different places. So uh, Dr. Uh, X is still with us, Javier Figueroa. Hello and welcome Hello. back to the show. Good to be here. So it was so great to hear um, about IPAC EDU from Dr. James Lyons-Weiler. This is what we need more of education by expert. I mean, the people he's bringing on to teach these courses, including you, which is so exciting. Um, and one day I'm going to have you on and Andre, I don't know why I keep forgetting his name, <laughs> to talk about the wonderful vaccine course because it is so in depth and fantastic. Um, so, but this hour, we have three guests who. It, this is why we all need to get educated and why we need, need to educate everybody around us because what happened to them should never have happened. So we are bringing on the show today, husband and wife, uh, David and Lauren Peterson, and we're bringing on Rocky Martinez of the King County Firefighters United. So welcome all of you to the show. Hi, thanks for having Thank us. You. Thanks. Oh, you're welcome. Well, you know, I'm so glad that you could join us today. We so appreciate individuals who have these experiences such as you have um, being willing to speak publicly. Right now, censorship, stifling of information, shadow banning, um, just keeping information from people is how they're getting away with what they're doing. Right. And we have to break through that. We're creating our own communication pathways. We have to be the news. And sometimes that means hand carrying it literally sometimes to your neighbor, to your friends. So we're so glad that you could um, be here with us. And I don't know if you've met. Um, in fact, it's the first time I'm meeting you. Um, and then we also have Javier Figueroa. He's a Ph.D. Um, neurobiologist. That is correct. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and I'm just a, I'm a mom, I'm a warrior mom. I'm a medical freedom informed consent advocate, been learning for years, I have so much more to learn, but um, just feel so grateful to bring your stories here today. And with that, I'll quit babbling because I tend to do that. Okay. 
So Lauren, I'm going to begin with you because you reached out to me and it was how, you know, we kind of got connected and the show came about. So tell listeners here a little bit back up to pre-COVID and tell us a little bit about you and your husband's life. And he was a King County firefighter. Correct? Yeah. Oh, it was Snohomish County. So Snohomish. Okay. Yeah, so, because this affected everyone statewide, obviously, but we're okay. in Snohomish County. So, um, I have 18 years in the medical field experience as a certified um, ophthalmic assistant, so vitro-retinal surgery, VEGF injections, all these different things. So, I, I fully immersed in the medical field for 18 years. When we had our children, that's when this awakening, so to speak, started to happen. I started questioning a lot of things. Fast forward to our second child. He was vaccine injured in 2013. He almost died about 12 hours. Yeah, about 12 hours after um, his 18-month well child visit. Mm. So, you know, obviously in the medical field, when you see adverse anything, whether it's for us a medication that you give to a patient, anything, you bring it to the source of the doctors. So when I was medically gaslit by my own co-workers, that's when specifically about the vaccine, and I didn't understand even then, I'm like, this doesn't make sense. If it's everything else we listen to, I'm being literally dismissed. It's not, not it's so medically, medically gaslit, it's not possible is what I was told. Yeah. And I just want to bring up something that you just, it, it's kind of a study idea or a data gathering idea. You go in for the well baby visit and your baby is well. <laughs> Right. And they weigh and measure and ask you questions and they're taking notes on on how healthy this little baby is. And then they give the baby the shots and then the baby is not well. Right. So we have right here, they just evaluated the child before and after, you know, um, just gathering that information and presenting it in a particular way, I think might be very useful um, for a study design. Okay, go ahead. Well, absolutely. And when in my experience in the medical field, my one of the major parts of my job was pre-ops and informed consent. And so that's where my I started asking more and more questions. I got obviously very angry. Um, he was diagnosed with autism in 2015. Insert uh, Robert Kennedy, Del Bigtree. And here we are. So Yay. I am fully informed (laughs) um but you know when it now fast forward to now when um governor inslee got it well this is worldwide you know um the uh covid so Mm -hmm. when i started hearing certain language on the tv regarding the lockdowns and a lot of the same (laughs) language that was being used at the masses the red flags went up. I was a, I was a little bit awake, but this fully woke me up. And I said, something's not right. So when in 2020, when they started talking about, we'll call, I'm going to call it the jab. I looked at my husband and I said, this is it. I said, they, I, and even in fairness, my husband, he was not, he didn't, he was not awake yet. I was the one that was pushing, <laughs> like, you know, I'm telling you, I said, they're going to force you, they're going to try to force you guys to administer these. They, in conversations about liability and non-liability. And I said, they are going to use the children and the elderly to push this, what we see as an agenda. 
And mm-hmm. I looked at my husband, and I said, this is a line in the sand for at least me. And you, you, we will have to make a choice December of 2020, our livelihood or complying to something that I've seen building for at least back then it had been many, many years. And so that was kind of the gateway to, and we chose, and we chose, we're not doing it. We're not going to do it. And here we are. That's wow. So thank you for that mama bear journey that it it all uh, often does begin with the mom. I think it's our natural instinct to be that way. Um, and I don't blame dads at all that they take a little longer to get there. I think it's just the nature of, of who we are, um, in the world with our children, but David, um, so now, so you are somebody that, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, to your wife, it's, you're respecting that this is her beliefs, but you're not thinking it's not going to happen. So can you explain your own learning journey and your emotional journey with your experience? Yeah, my uh, I believe the lie, like everybody was told, uh, especially in Rocky and I's profession. You know, we're the heroes. We're the ones that take care of the people who are sick. We're the ones that, you know, just pick them up and take them to the hospital. And then, you know, we've started the process. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I never I never thought this would come to my front door. Um, and, you know, going back on what Lauren was saying, when uh, when our son was vaccine injured, of course, where was I at work helping mm-hmm. other people? going through this whole thing um and the first thing you know lauren did was she called me and i said hang up call 911 and it wasn't uh it wasn't i'll I'll be home i know exactly what's going on i'll be home i'll be there and we'll deal with it then um so my my journey to waking up has been uh very slow and uh, i had to i had to experience it for myself um and and not really (laughs) listen to lauren um, and then finally, when, uh, when, when she, when she gave me that, uh, that, that notice of information, like this is happening, it's coming and be ready. Uh, that's when yeah. I woke up to and, and yeah. Was the resistance to listening to your wife? I mean, that's kind of the nature of marriage, right? I've been married 38 years, so I know that feeling, but, um, was it, it's just, it's, you want to trust the system. I was in a, I was in a belief system and and I think that's where part of my um, my anxiety and my depression kicked in was that I believed in the system that failed me mm-hmm. uh, the person that was supposed to be in charge of the uh, you know of implementing that belief system and that trust that's where it hurt me the most yeah yeah and I'm so sorry you went through that but I'm so proud of you for standing up against it because, you know, what we keep saying is if everybody who understood the truth clasped pants and stood up against it, we could end this, but it takes the brave people in the beginning. Yeah. And so um, let's go ahead and Rocky, um, let's move on to you. And you're, you're calling in now from um, Texas. You moved out of Washington state. Was that prompted by what your experience? Um, it was a major part of it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so are you in King, you were King County because the organization you're with is the King County Firefighters United. And it sounds like you're still fighting with them, even though you've left the state. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, I'm one of the few who's been willing to, uh, speak out, you know, about it and kind of just hopefully open the fire chief's eyes of the decision they made 
um, information has changed as we see today and that people can work and they can work safely. And that's what we've been trying to communicate that the terminations, while at the time with the current information may have been the right decision for them, as we see now with all the data, you know, I can still work. And in fact, my uh, my buddy, Frank, who's also a member of the King County Firefighters United, he's working right now, unvaccinated. In fact, he's been working on the Bolt Creek fire for the last 22 days, but he got terminated from his career employment with Eastside Fire. Okay, so he, he went and got hired by another firefighting um, organization? Uh, volunteering. Volunteering. Oh, are you kidding me? They'll let him volunteer to fight fires, but they won't pay him to fight fires. Correct. Um, that That's where the kind of the irony kicks in a little bit, because the funniest part about that is, you know, he can he can't work for his old agency, but now he can manage a fire where his old agency and old coworkers are working on that same fire in proximity of him. And that's not an issue, but Frank can't work at his old employer. Wow. The, hip yeah. the hypocrisy is just amazing. It really is. And since you moved to Texas, have you found work as a firefighter or are you changing directions? I have, I have not. Uh, I have tested and I've interviewed at several locations. Um, the biggest challenge, and this is where um, most of us who have been terminated, one, the fire service is one of those unique uh, disciplines where when you have a termination, no matter what it is, even though they call it non-disciplinary termination, it doesn't look good when you go to apply for another agency. Mm. And personally, I think that's the holdup with a couple of the agencies I've tested for because okay. um, too recently I've gone through the interview process and then they do the background and they're like, thanks, but no thanks. You know, and, it, and it's hard. I was, I, I'd been in the career service for 18 years. It's hard to start over. It's not like I just start at a lieutenant where I was and move to a lieutenant with another agency in a different state. I have to now, start all over. Are um, are you absolutely um, committed now to Texas or might you be willing to move up a little Northeast to Tennessee where I moved to? <laughs> and the governor has opened, you know, put a, his hand out to welcome those fired in other states. So you- I you am know. committed to Texas now. Oh. Um, now I will- how pretty I it is in Tennessee, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> I am a man of my word, though. I have said multiple times um, that, you know, if my previous employer, if he offers me my job back, I will take it back and I will commute. That's how committed I am to my community, where I was from, um, wow. because I grew up in that area. But uh, okay. as of yet, there has been no communication from the fire chief to us as individuals or as a group. And uh, they continue to ignore everything that we've presented with them. Yeah, no, you you guys really exemplify the the problem I say over and over, and I apologize if my listeners are tired of me saying this, but there's no system of checks and balances in anything public health related. And there's also zero responsibility for the use of these products, the vaccines or the COVID whatever they are, injections, there's no, and human beings and government entities, 
behave really poorly in the absence of responsibility. You know, they spend other people's money. I don't eat my money. Sure, two billion for that. Whatever. It's just another two billion. Um, and you know, and if they're not responsible, and what has happened has been from the top down, um, this this peer tyranny. Everybody along the way, including pro- your the fire chiefs of these places, have been made to feel responsible for every incidence of COVID. And zero responsibility for any outcome having to do with either receipt of the shot or your your um, your rights being violated or anything. They feel no re- repercussions or responsibility. Yes, Javier. So Bernadette, you brought up a, a good point. This is something that was foisted on the fire chiefs as part of a responsibility that they shouldn't have had. Mm-hmm. And uh, Rocky or uh, uh, David or Lauren, you know, I, I heard a couple of um, interesting tidbits about some of the discussions that were had, say with mayors or with county officials, talking to the fire chiefs. And I was wondering if maybe you could do a little backfill on that story, because I think this is really another big uh, steaming pile of you-know-what that needs to be uncovered. (laughs) Rocky, do you want to take that one? (laughs) Um, Sure. So, um, you know, a majority of the King County fire chiefs, so... um, Total, I think it's 10 agencies that separated employees, whether they put them on unpaid leave of absence, paid leave of absence, termination, separation, whatever verbiage they wanted to call it at the time. Um, separated employees who remained who remained unvaccinated against COVID-19. Now, one thing that I want to include in there, there is no single vaccine requirement for employment with most King County fire agencies. I'm not required to get a flu shot. Not once. I had never, never have to show that. I haven't had a flu shot in probably 10 years. You know, um, so then this came about. Mm-hmm. Um, so some, some of the conversations that we've had with elected officials, both Dow Constantine, um, his office, uh, Dr. Ray's office, who is the King County Medical Program Director. He's the one that kind of oversees and um, all King County EMTs work under his license. So he kind of signs them all off. Um, Where this stemmed from was Dr. Ray, again, King County Medical Program Director, uh, made a recommendation to the King County Fire Chiefs saying that he recommended unvaccinated employees do not have direct patient contact. The Fire Chiefs took that as a policy, a procedure, a guideline, which it was none of that it was a conversation and a meeting with the King County Fire Chiefs. So it was his verbal recommendation. Later on, he wrote it down. The one thing that everyone forgets, Governor Inslee's mandate, Dow Constantine's mandate, the law allows the employers to grant or deny the exemptions and to grant or deny the accommodations. So if an employer, approves an accommodation for an employee who is unvaccinated, they are still meeting the intent of the mandate, but they they refuse to see that. Yeah. Um, so as a, I can only speak for now my agency, the, the individuals that uh, belong to Eastside Fire, um, it was July 14th. Um, you know, we went through a process to kind of say, hey, you know, we really don't want to seek legal action. We want to go through all the policies and procedures and hey, we can change this. We're not even saying you have to admit you made a mistake. 
let's just come back. We can come back to work. Um, we turned in our tort claims, um, which are damages against the agency. So for all 10 individuals, it was $171 million due to um, their lengths and service of time that they've been working and how much longer they had for their careers. Again, zero communication from the agency, um, which is kind of standard from most of the King County fire agencies. They, you can, you can show them the law and they still won't acknowledge it. Um, where we're at now, I guess, uh, we are seeing now that they're changing course. Uh, originally, they were pointing the finger at Dr. Ray saying, well, it was his recommendation. This is why we had to make the decision to terminate. Um, and and were, I want to, you're wording there, his recommendation, so we had to. So he converted a magic sentence, converts a recommendation to a requirement, you know. Yes. And it's so important that you you point that out as you have, because recommendations have been coming from NIH, FDA, CDC, and they've been interpreted and transformed magically into requirements. And it, it, it's so many levels. And what I have seen is, like you described some some actually really good protective structure that we have in the actual language of the laws and rules that have developed in this nation and in Washington state and King County in particular, in Snohomish County. However, if there's not the, the political and leadership will to actually follow the law and to follow what's really there, if they're actually just following what they know the intent is, this recommendation really it's, it's, Right. It's almost like, you know, somebody's got a gun to their head. Yeah, this is a recommendation. OK, we know what this means, um, which makes it very, very difficult to figure out how to reform this, because if we already have good laws in place and nobody's paying attention to them. What do you do? Right. Well, yeah, I guess you end up having to take them to court and hope you get a good judge. OK, sorry for that interruption there, but that no, was okay. it, it's just such an important point that you know, these magically delicious recommendations all of a sudden became requirements that they had to do. It wasn't my fault. So they're pointing at this Dr. Ray and mm -hmm. accusing, say, not our fault. Okay. And then they uh, also pointed the finger at Governor Inslee, his mandate, which again, mm -hmm. even in his original mandate, clearly said the employers have the authority and the responsibility to provide exemptions or accommodations. So again, yes. if they do an accommodation, they would meet the intent of the mandate and they would follow along um, because right. of Title VII and ADA. So, and if they had looked at the science and seen that a non-vaccinated person with natural immunity is just as safe to be around, or actually even if they don't yet have natural immunity because of the way the shots work, accommodation would simply mean you could keep doing your job. Absolutely, and, and for the, again, I can only speak specifically for the members that belong to my old agency um, because we're, you know, we share a lot of the information. Uh, yes, I get some from the other agencies that, you know, King County Firefighters United um, represents, but uh, a lot of the accommodations that the unvaccinated employees asked for in their accommodation meetings were exactly what they implemented after they were separated. Hey, I'll wear an N95 mask 24-7. I will test every single morning before I come to shift. I will social distance every possibility that I can. And those were clearly denied. 
But then as soon as we were placed on unpaid leave or separated from the agency, they implemented those for the vaccinated personnel. The same exact accommodation request that we were asked for. And, and the funny thing is that Eastside Fire, we were actually part of a pilot project that we were actually doing the point of care testing, the, um, I can't remember the, the name of it, but we were doing a point of care testing every morning when we started shift. So we were catching a couple different um, COVID positive tests, which a majority of those that tested positive came from outside. They had just traveled from across the country, visiting family. Even Dr. Ray's own study that came out in August of 2021, he stated that there was one known transmission of patient to firefighter, even during high risk um, procedures, which was an intubation. And he studied thousands of patient contacts. Myself, my own, I worked the entirety of the pandemic on a aid unit transporting COVID positive patients. Since I was the hazmat team leader for our agency, I was actually asked to set up a um, aid unit that was specific to COVID positive transports. You know, that's all it was utilized for. Set it up. So I'm working on both those aid units the entirety of the pandemic. Not once did I catch COVID because the PPE works when worn properly. Um, and I did two um, antibody tests on my own dime to see if I was one of those random asymptomatic carriers. And I didn't have any antibodies. It wasn't until I was separated that I was working at a different occupation, doing the same type of job, um, which is even at more uh, hypocrisy there, um, that I did catch COVID. You know, and and so again, it's we can work safely, and that's all we've always been asking for. None of us want to go through the process of filing EEOC complaints, tort claims, lawsuits, anything like that, because ultimately we know that where it comes down to is it's not the fire chiefs or the elected officials that have to pay that that burden. It's the taxpayers, mm -hmm. you know, and the, unfortunately, the taxpayers and the constituents of those elected officials are the ones who are brunting the burden right now with the lack of staffing, you know, the increased response times, the, the less staffing for specialty response. Those are the things that, while I'll quote my fire chief when we first, when October 19th happened, the first day of uh, where unvaccinated were separated, there will be no impact to emergency services response. Yet there, my agency is averaging $400,000 a month in overtime to backfill the positions of those members that were separated. And currently we're sitting at 28 vacancies right now. So how can you not have a impact of to emergency services if you if you don't have the people to fill the shoes? Yeah, exactly. David, are you seeing the same sort of overtime having to be um, paid in Snohomish? Yeah, it's um, it's quite large, and uh, we we're you we're very unique compared unique. to what's going on in King County. <laughs> yeah. So go ahead. So I. You know, like like Rocky, I was placed on leave without pay starting October nineteenth of twenty twenty one, and uh, the the thing that separates us from uh, the members in King County is our fire chief um, decided to bring us back. He brought us back on June first, um, and the reason I was given was is the data has changed. That's it. No other specifics. No other anything. Um, but we were welcomed back. 
Um, now that period between October and June, we were treated identically the same. Our, our accommodations that we were asking for in our exemption process uh, was masking and testing daily. Literally a month later, um, we, I was notified that everybody is now testing and wearing masks, N95s, all the time, on every call, on every patient. Even just to show up to the station, you had to test before you could even come inside. Um, and all of those were the exact accommodations that we were asking for back when we were going through our, our exemption process. Um, so, yeah, I, I sit here very fortunate to be able to go back to the profession that I love and to be able to provide for my family. And uh, that's, why, that's why Lauren and I are fighting super hard for the King County firefighters yeah. uh, like Rob and Frank. Well, that is so, I love that brotherhood, you guys standing together and, you know, I, that's why I'm here and that's why Javier is here. You know, our jobs aren't suffering. We, you know, we don't, not personally involved, but, you know, family of humanity here, we got to protect each other. And it's one of those things is, anyway, Um, (laughs) but you, you showed that your situation showed that somebody in a position of power, your chief was able to, you know, overcome the political pressure to continue and actually looked at the data, right? (laughs) Probably decided he wasn't going on the slippery slope of actually going into the details, but said, yeah, come on back. That's, that's fantastic. And now would, could, could we get a conversation between that police chief and the police chief in King <laughs> County? Well, that's what's interesting, at least from our side in Snohomish here, a lot, my, both of us, along with multiple members at our department, Snohomish Regional Fire Rescue and others in Snohomish County for months, Bellevue Fire, Kirkland, Redmond, Eastside Fire, Shoreline, did I say Bothell? All of them. We would call in to where we were able to physically go and they started to actually hold physical meetings, we'd show up. One of our commissioners even spoke it to Redmond Council um, saying, we're bringing our people back. Basically call us, we'll tell you how to do it. We basically pleaded, call our chief, ask how he's doing it. You think there was one phone call? Nope. They just, it's, it's been made very clear and from the beginning, it's all politics. It's that's what this is about. It's not about health. It's not about the science. It's about yeah. a political agenda. It's about a yeah. state of emergency where funding continues to flow in, and as long as that state of emergency exists, they still get a piece of that pie. That's yeah. that's what this is about. And you know, we can't overlook the fact that Snohomish is a red county. It's a Republican county dominant and King County is the heart and soul of sort of the democratic party. It's the home of Bill Gates. It's, you know, I mean, that's, that's a pretty tough nut to crack there. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, and you know, it's pretty difficult. And I just, I can't, I can't describe, and I've told multiple people when they've asked me, like, what is it like at these meetings um, that Rocky was going to, and all of these firefighters, it is the most dense, negative, and I would say for anyone that is religious, it is a very demonic energy that comes within that room. It is not for the faint of heart. And wow. so it's it's evil. It's pure evil. And 
It's, yeah, I've seen some of the, the video streamed. I hear what you're saying. Um, I want to make sure I, I cover a couple of points. Now, Rocky, you had said, and I apologize, I think I interrupted you, that things are changing. Um, yes. And so tell me that. Tell me where you stand now. What changed and where things are looking now? Um, so some King County fire departments, uh, the fire chiefs have, a uh, couple of them have said it publicly, a couple have not yet, um, but are offering their jobs back to those members that were um, in different circumstances. Some were separated, um, some were accommodated and just placed on a uh, daytime position. Um, so again, depending on the agency, but there's currently three agencies, King County agencies, that are um, have vocally said we're bringing our people back. Okay. Um, so they have offered their positions back to those individuals. Um, now, the one thing that is unique about that is there's no plan on how to bring them back. Um, you know, it's the conversation is, well, it's not just because I left this position, I'm going to put be put right back into that position. It's, oh, well, you got to start at the bottom or you're not getting back pay or you're not getting those, you know, those things that they should be entitled to. Because, again, it was a wrongful termination, separation, whatever you want to call it. Um, mm -hmm. So they're trying to continue to violate the rights of those members by mm -hmm. dangling the carrot and say, hey, I'll give your job back. So um, while it's good that they're offering the jobs back, um, I have to be very careful of how I say this. Um, those members are making the decisions that's best for their situation based yeah. off of their circumstances. Yeah, um, yeah, it, it has to be done right. Yeah, we're seeing a couple that are starting to have the conversation of uh, two other agencies are saying, hey, okay, maybe we can bring our people back. Now, it's kind of hit a roadblock now um, with Dow Constantine's office uh, publicly coming out that they are not removing his mandate. So the King County Executive made a mandate um, in October of 2021 that is actually more restrictive than Governor Inslee's mandate, yet it wasn't enforced properly from the beginning. Um, so if you are a um, county employee or you are a contractor that does work with King County in any way, shape, or form, and you have any interaction with the public whatsoever, you would fall under Dow Constantine's mandate. So you must be vaccinated against COVID-19 in order to work. Is he claiming this mandate under emergency powers, which supposedly yes. he's lifting October 31st? Okay. He is not lifting. The, the, the King County executive is not removing his mandate, even though Governor Inslee is removing his mandate okay. on October so 31st. Th this is really good conversation. And somebody remind me, we got to get to the EEOC. E I forget how many E's in there. <laughs> okay. So at the state level, as Inslee removes one hand, he, he puts it back with the other. So he, October 31st, the emergency order going away and those, but through the Office of Financial Management um, and union bargaining, Almost all state employees now are going to be required permanently and illegally. It's it we're fighting it. It's not legal what they've done, but to to have the primary doses, no matter one, they could have had it two and a half, three years ago, and they're considered 
you know, it doesn't even make sense because those people are so, um, and then they're offering thousand dollar boosters, you know, um, so far they, they've pledged more than $40 million to pay people a thousand dollars to get a booster that at best might minimize their risk of, of hospitalization for a couple of weeks. And then they go into negative efficacy. Okay. But I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, so I'm wondering at the County level now, does Dow Constantine have the authority under his job description to mandate shots for employees? Does he have that outside of emergency? So that's what we're digging deep into right now. So the way we read it, yes, because the King County Council offers him that authority through the King County Charter. Okay? Oh. Um, and so, and it kind of aligns with some of the state emergency powers as well. Um, but that's emergency. And, correct. But outside of emergency is what I'm that's asking. And that's where we're trying to figure out okay. would this still align or would it not. Um, but his public, uh, Dow Constantine, the King County Executive, has clearly said, I'm not removing it. It stays in place even after the state level goes away. Um, he's threatened now, again, how it relates to fire departments is he's threatened that because King count that all the fire departments receive EMS dollars through King County EMS. Okay. Um, so when a taxpayer pays their property taxes, it, a certain part of that property tax goes to King County EMS, who then takes that pot and distributes it to the appropriate EMS monies to those fire departments. So that's how uh, the executive is basically saying, Hey, because you do business with us and we give you money as a King County agency, uh, you have to follow this mandate. Now, his mandate, again, is restrictive so much. And this is the point that I want to make sure that I really touch on is that if you have any interaction with the public whatsoever, you must be vaccinated against COVID-19. In fact, in their frequently asked questions document, they even said a flagger who was standing on the side of the road, who is a county contractor, must be vaccinated, even though he comes into contact, he or she minimally with the public driving by. He, he or she must still be vaccinated, okay, because of that interaction with the public. Now, if you follow those same lines, that means every single individual in the fire department fire prevention, staff assistance, all of those need to be vaccinated. Again, if you're following Dow Constantine's mandate, that's not currently happening. Where, what is happening is they targeted the firefighters and the firefighters only because they were the ones that were having those patient contacts. Um, they even tried to, well, they did for a little bit of the mechanics who work on the aid units because the aid unit is considered a mobile uh, medical treatment facility. So even though they never come into contact with any public. Um, so, so they're trying to cherry pick all these little things to say, hey, this is what you need to follow. But again, it comes down to the firefighters and the EMS workers were the only ones who were targeted under Dow Constantine's mandate and, and the King County Sheriff's. Okay, couple of, couple of questions. Yeah. It seems like there's a discrimination case in there somewhere. If only you guys were forced to follow the mandate and everybody else is let off. I mean, the law has to apply to everybody equally, and it surely didn't. 
And do you think once the emergency order goes away and now Dow becomes the king of King County and just decides to rule from his office, despite there being not being an emergency anymore, do you foresee them enforcing it more on all employees, the people who have been getting away with avoiding it? I mean, if it's going to be permanently, and I don't, I think it's important that we need to dig down and study the structure. Do they have to file official rulemaking? And is, and usually that has to be done in a public way and, and file rules that have to be put out there. I, you know, there's no precedent. That's where I'm, that's where I'm digging deep right now into the law, you know, um, trying to follow all the different codes and charters and RCWs and WACs to how they tie together has been a challenge. Um, but so far, um, he's meeting the intent. Now, where we're really going to find out is with public records requests of if he did everything that uh, met the law under right. the emergency orders. That's right. And now this is this is specific to King County in Snohomish. Have you guys experienced anything similar to that with some of the uh, the other council members or has it been a little bit bit more uh, free? Uh, In Snohomish County, it's a little bit more free. Uh, We have a council that is more purple than any other color. Um, So we have I think, you know, there's it's the majority is Democratic, but there are two Republicans that are very strong in, in, in what they what they bring to the council meetings. Uh, and the county executive is uh, pretty much a free thinker. Dave Summers, is uh, he kind of marches to the beat of his own drum and does what's right for Snohomish County, Excellent. not what's right for Dave Summers, um, which is what sounds like what's going on in King County. Um, another important thing that I need to mention is that there are King County agencies that uh, the fire department that I work for provides mutual aid to. Um, and this was a major, major, major thing that went under the radar is yeah. that uh, we could we could work in King County with King County firefighters that were supposed to be vaccinated, but yet now there are some of us that are not vaccinated and we're still able to go into their areas, provide patient care to their citizens, but not have to follow any of Dow Constantine's um, authoritarian rule. Right. And in fairness, some of the King County agencies that border his, David's agency, they tried to come into Snohomish County and tell Snohomish County fire chiefs what to do. And uh, that didn't end up happening. So no, that got that's, shut down very quickly. That is so interesting. So one thing that, that surprised me or one thing that shocked me when, uh, when the 2020 election came by that the uh, the uh, uh, executive had the power to the in the election, they, there was basically a referendum saying that they're not going to elect the sheriff anymore. It's going to be done through an executive uh, decision. Was right. that pushed at the at, in Snohomish, or was that just strictly a King County uh, effort? King County, strictly King County. Dow Constantine was the one who made that decision. I wonder why. Right. Yeah, in fact, I remember, I'm back, sorry, I hit a button and it disappeared. Me. <laughs> um, I remember the, the Snohomish County Sheriff got into some trouble for standing up and claiming he yep. supported the Constitution. And there was a recall election they tried to get, but I don't think they had any success getting it on the ballot. Yeah. Right. My remembrance of that, it was uh, Chelan, it was pretty much every single sheriff in this state other than 
Yes. King County. King County. Yeah. I think if I'm recalling that correctly. Right. I believe 38 of the 39 sheriffs in Washington state signed, re-pledged their oath to the Washington state Correct. and U.S. constitutions, but not, yeah, yeah it's. That it's is serious. so damn telling. Yeah, it really is. So um, EEOC, who wants to tell me about you know, what's going on there. And then, and one other thing I want you to, re how can we support you before time runs out? If there's any way where we can go to support that. So EEOC. Um, let me touch on that one second. Cause I want to add something that's again, pretty telling uh, with Dow Constantine's mandate. And I'm going to just read verbatim. Now this came from a, um, um, a member of the press that sent this, message to them and this was the response that i will read now remember he threatened king county ems dollars with the fire chiefs um so uh thank you for your email to king county executive offices king county has no role in funding fire protection services funding for fire departments is provided by the cities or in unincorporated areas through fire districts the Medic One program is funded through a voter approved property tax and administered by King County, but funding is provided to all fire departments and districts under the enabling legislation. So how can he threaten the funding when it's voter approved? Yet again, the fire chiefs are the ones that are supposed to be knowing this already and say, oh, well, good luck because the taxpayers are the ones to improve it. So, that, that might, was one thing that was quite know. unique. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, you know, this is where we're trying to educate the public of like, look, this is what your fire department is doing. Okay, um, EEOC, uh, those, that is a fun topic and um, I will condense it because it could be here for hours uh, talking about that. So if you are to file a claim of discrimination, um, hostile work environment, discrimination in any form, whether it's sexual orientation, age, uh, sex, uh, veteran status, uh, most of those protected um, portions of your civil rights. You have to file a um, EEOC complaint, which stands for Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Okay, It's through the federal government uh, who, who identifies those protected um, segments, uh, the demographics. You file that with the EEOC to say, hey, this is a charge of discrimination that I am making against whoever the uh, the, the discriminator is. Okay, um, That is a process that while you think it would be fairly streamlined because they do it on a regular basis, that's all they're intended for, it is a very long process. Um, now when COVID started, like everything, it slowed down because people were working from home and they weren't in the offices. Um, an average EOC claim right now, and this is average, is taking nine to 10 months from the date of filing to the time you get a letter, whatever it is, whether it's right to sue, charges dismissed, those types of things. Um, part of why an EOC is important is because it's a, a administrative step that needs to be completed prior to fi filing any litigation properly for discrimination. Okay, so since we're talking about the discrimination, if, if I wanted to file a lawsuit, I would have to go through Washington State first. Washington State's pretty unique because it has its own 
EEOC office, we'll say it's a state level office called the Human Rights Commission. So you have to file that that discrimination charge. Everyone who was separated for due to COVID vaccination status, they were not even accepting them. In fact, they put it on their website. It, we are not accepting COVID uh, COVID nineteen vaccination statuses claims. They just weren't accepting. They would deny them completely. Um, which again, talking about the hypocrisy. So you go to the next step and file it with the federal level EEOC. Guess who does the investigation? The state level. So the Washington State Human Rights Commission was the one doing the investigations for the feds based off of all the documentation that you provided. So every member that has the intent, desire, the potential to seek litigation against their agencies must go through this administrative process. Um, again, filing the state level specific to Washington State and some others, the federal level of the EEOC, and then they must file their tort claims, which is basically letting the agency know that did the discriminating saying, hey, I'm saying you are responsible for these charges and here's why. And it has a number attached to it, whatever that individual chooses. We have about four or five minutes. Yeah. I'm okay. gonna make it quick. I'm okay. summing it down right now. Um, so the, the one of the things that we found unique with that um, lately, specific to our claims, all those who were uh, filing EEOC due to the, the vaccination status or being unvaccinated, they were still not getting responses from the EEOC. I filed mine February 19th of 2022. I just got my letter back. Um, I'm not going to say what it says uh, due to private reasons. Um, uh, just here uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago. So um, that letter will be one of three things. Your case is closed. You have the right to sue, meaning the EOC isn't necessarily dis dismissing your claims, but they're not going to pursue it any further with on the federal level. Um, no, we don't see any. So that's option one. Option two, no, we don't see any forms of discrimination based off of those certain demographics. Um, so you know, if you want to sue, you can. Um, but again, all of that's going to be discoverable in court. And then there's, yes, we see discrimination. We're going to represent you or on your behalf because it does meet the federal requirement of discrimination. Um, so what's unique, though, that we found is we've had several members who are getting their um, charges dismissed or basically their cases closed. They're getting their right to sue letters. But one thing that stuck out particularly in one individual's was they said that they didn't even read the documentation that he uploaded due to um, staffing levels and limited resources. So then what's the point of me providing the documentation if they're not going to look at it? You know, you might as well just accept whatever the agency said because you're not looking at mine. Um, again, that wasn't my specific circumstance. It was one individual who shared that information with us. And and so your so civil rights um take a back seat to staffing shortages what apparently apparently you know that's that's not appropriate anywhere anytime correct <laughs> yeah okay yeah we're getting the word we got like three minutes now okay so so what 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 does all this mean okay people excuse me people are hearing back from eeoc they're getting mm -hmm. their letters 
And so it sounds to me as if next steps are proceeding with the lawsuits, which you didn't want to do. You wanted to do it friendly. But so I take it that's where it's moving. And so funding is going to be needed. Is there a way we can help support these um, King County firefighters in their fight for justice? Yes. Uh, the biggest challenge right now um, is that uh, finding the right attorney to represent um, Unfortunately, many of them are not wanting to fight these fights. No one wants to be the first one. Um, but once there's one win, they'll all come crawling out of the woodwork for it and representing. Um, so that, that's the biggest challenge, I think, for some of our members. Uh, the other is, do they really want to proceed with litigation? Um, because as we know, litigation is not a very expedient process. It could take two, five, seven, or longer. And where members are in their specific circumstances, you know, um, they may not have that fight because they don't have funding because they lost their job. They lost their, their benefits, um, all those things that their livelihood for them and their families. Um, so right now at this current moment, we do not have a funding mechanism yet, but we are working on establishing a 501c3 status, um, to be able to, uh, collect funds and donations for those members that have challenges with litigation and helping to proceed with the litigation costs. Okay. And Rocky, will you come back on the show when you're set up with that 501c3? Absolutely. Great. Okay. Well, uh, Rocky, David, and Lauren, thank you so much for your time. Um, and thank you for just standing strong in justice. America will be a better place. Washington State will be a better place because of your refusing to give up. And Dr. X, as always, great being with you. So you've been listening to an informed life radio on Love 50 AM, KKNW, and CHD TV. Everybody stay strong. Enjoy this beautiful fall. And we'll see you next week. If you're looking for a publication that delivers honest takes and critical insights into the issues of our day, then look no further than The Flame Paper. The Flame Paper is written for the people, by the people, who aren't afraid to challenge a mainstream narrative, be it health care, voter fraud, political correctness, or even the one world government. The Flame is full of timely articles, reports, and expert advice written by freedom-loving, truth-telling experts, journalists, and concerned citizens. To subscribe, go to theflameusa.com. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com.